guys, what's up? This is Nads and Ness here today on another episode of Heart on the Mic. We do have a very special guest today. Our very special guest is Marcel Smith, and we've known him for about, what, how many years? I want to say six, seven six, years. Okay, yeah. I was going to say six years. Long time. Um, we can hop right into it. How did we get to know you? What brought you into our lives? Uh, we met at Streetlight. Um, I'm from the East Coast, so I'm from Philadelphia, and so I met them. Um, I had two twins, Yadir and Aldir, and they introduced me to, to Streetlight Church, which you guys are both members of, and so um, that's how we met. How did you get to know the twins? I met them at OCC in Costa Mesa. I um, I flew out here from Philly, and I'll give you just a, a quick backtrack of, of just the experience, and so um, I'm from Philly, and so while people call it the, the city of brotherly love, people who live there, they call it Philadelphia because it's really violent. So there was one day, um, it was the first day of summer. I'll never forget it. And I was working on my cousin Dan's shop. Uh, it's an auto shop. Shout out cousin Dan's auto shop. Shout out. You know, Shout out. <laughs> um, and it was the first day of summer. And there were 16 shootings that, that in one day, and that's one neighborhood, wow. 16 shootings. And six people had got shot and killed. One person on the block that I worked at. And then Philadelphia in certain parts is really toxic. They tell you you either make it to the NBA or the NFL or you selling coke on, on, on the side. Those, those are the only options. And so it's really toxic. It's the type of environment where if you look at somebody for three seconds too long, it's a fight. Yeah. And so for me, I knew that wasn't my way. Like I know for me that that wasn't an option for me. I know I wasn't going to necessarily make it to the NBA, but I'm not selling coke at the corner neither. And so that same week that that shooting happened, I remember I said, I, I can't do this. And without telling anybody, like this wasn't planned. I didn't say, hey, mom, dad, that same week I quit my job. I sold my car I, and I spent everything that I had because back then tickets to California was kind of expensive. Mm. And I sold everything. Now, my plan, I was young. And so my plan was to just get financial aid, use that money, get an apartment and figure something out. That was the plan. It wasn't the best plan, but it was my plan. And so... I spent everything that I had. I had probably $50 to my name when I came out here, but thinking, as soon as I get out here, all I got to do is just verify my identity, and the card they gave me in the mail is going to have $3,000 on there. I'm set. And so I get there straight from the airplane, come all the way to OCC, and I go straight to the financial aid office with suitcases in hand, and people are looking at me funny because people got textbooks, and I got my whole luggage with me, and they're like, okay, this is, you know. And so to make a long story short, um, there was a miscommunication. A lady who got fired, her name was Susan. I'll never forget her name. <laughs> Susan. She changed your life. Changed <laughs> she changed exactly. my life. She did. Because Susan was emailing me back and forth, telling me all I had to do was go there in person, give them my ID, and they'll reload the car and I'll have all this money. So that was the plan. And when I got there, I said, I'm looking for Susan. They said, well, Susan doesn't work here anymore. And I said, oh, well, that's okay because I have emails from her. And, and I showed them the email and they go, oh, well, Susan actually doesn't work here anymore. And I said, Really, why? And they go, oh, because she had a habit of giving people false information. Wow. And I said, oh, okay, well, still, I'm here to verify my identity. And they go, well, bad news is, young man, is you don't get this money for three, four months from now. And I'm like, I look at the lady and I go, I'm, I, I pretty much break down the story. Like, I only got $50 to my name. I need this money. What am I supposed to do? And she goes, I'm sorry, sweetheart. And long story short, I ended up just, all right, took off my stuff and I went to the track because I planned on running track there. And I ran into these twins, you there and out there, and it was probably around the third or fourth practice. They gave, they were giving invitations out to a church, 
And at this time, you know, I'm sleeping in a boathouse. Like I, my last $50 I spent at a 24 hour fitness to put all my luggage in. And plus I need to take a shower. You know, for me, I'll do whatever, but I just can't be stinky. And so all my stuff is legit. I, I, I snuck them in one by one. And then, so now I'm at, I'm at like $2. And so um, I think it was the third or fourth track um, practice. They invited me to their church street light. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I don't got anywhere else better to be, so let's go. And at this time, a lot of people don't know this. This is, you know, um, I had a lot of a lot of I had a lot of arrogant pride back then. And this was I was actually running away from God at that point. Um, I have family members that are pastors. I have um, most of my family are Christians, so I, I've heard about Jesus. But for me, like how I grew up and just the people that I was around, like that just. At that time, it wasn't for me. So I'm running from God. If anything, at that point, I actually hated God. I hated God because my plans wasn't working out, and I was blaming God for it, silly enough. So that is how I met the twins, and that's how I found Streetlight. Dang. So how many days or how long, what like what was it like? Do you remember your first night like very oh, oh, clear? Like oh, what was your first night like walking away from that financial aid counter with the, your luggage? Like twist of fate. What is your next Three move? Miles. What did you do? I was walking on Harbor Boulevard and it was three miles from the school to the to the gym and it was the heaviest three miles ever. Mm. And not even it just being heavy, not knowing where I'm going. Like just not knowing I'm in a new place, I don't know where anything is. I don't even know where my next meal is coming. And it's just, and this is a real feeling inside of your gut. It's just like, yo, like, um I honestly I can't even describe it. And, and so those were the, like, in my whole entire life, those were the longest three miles ever before I found that 25-hour fitness. I tossed it in there, and then I found a boathouse that was, that was on Fairview. Um, that's how surreal it is. I, like, I don't forget stuff, details like this. I don't even I don't forget. And um, I saw the boathouse, and they were closed at 10 p.m. every night. So at, at around, like, 10 p.m., 10, 10.30, I would hop over. And I would get into because it was the only place that would just out because I'm not going to sleep like on, on the floor or just on the side. Like, I'm not doing that. And so I jumped, hopped the gate every night and I would go into the boathouse. And every night at 2.30, I noticed because it was like almost like an alarm clock, I would wake up because it was so cold I couldn't go back to sleep. Okay. I had to wake up, jump over, and then walk over to the 24-hour just to stay warm. And it was like that for about, I want to say, a month, maybe two. Wow. A month or Marcel, two? That's yeah. Wow, wild. I thought you were going to say like a week or two. Oh, no, so you better. knew the twins like from that point and you, were, you weren't telling anybody I that did, I'm I, living <laughs> in the boathouse. My dad had called me two weeks in and up until that point, I, I told him everything was good. Like I didn't tell yeah. him nothing. But at two weeks, I kind of broke and I said, I just told him. And he's like, son, like we're getting your ticket home now. And I remember telling him like that. I know you don't got the money. I don't got the money. Even if you did, I would rather die out here at least trying for something new than going back to something I know I'm going to die slowly. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had a certain type of pride where I'm just not going to let nobody help me. So it really was the Holy Spirit that had to come in for me to even have trust. And also the twins um, being God-fearing men for me to be able to trust them. But yeah, I didn't tell them for like a month, month or two in before, before you know. And how I told them, one day, I think it was after the third time service that we had, where they would always drop me off at this corner, but there was no houses around. It was just, it was just the 24-hour fitness is over by tri- the Triangle Square. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's not really houses, and they would drop me off in the corner. And after the third time, they, they noticed, like, they were like, where does he go? And one day, I remember it was out there. Out there, I looked back in the seat from dropping me off, and he goes, 
hey Marcel, where do you live? Mm-hmm. And he said it in a way where you could tell like he doesn't he doesn't think I live here. But at this point, I had been the street like I've been there multiple times and, and enough to see them and just see the love that they had. You know, for me, a stranger that they didn't even know. And something just told me I can trust them. Like I felt it. And I just said, honestly, guys, like I told them, I told them the situation. Like I'm living in this boat house down the street. What? Are you serious? They both freaked out. They looked at me. And they said, "Where's your stuff?" And I said, "It's, it's, in, the, it's in the gym." And they said, "What? Go, in the, go get it right now." And I said, "You serious? Go get it." Now at this point, I'm from Philly, right? So I'm used to people not really showing love like that. Mm-hmm. I'm used to people. Well, you 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 got to give me something for me to give you something. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm already kind of like, what's going on? And I'll never forget the front desk face at the 25-hour fitness because I go in there, I lock, and I grab all my luggage. I snuck them in one by one, but I took them all out together. And I remember the lady, she looked at me like, she did a double take. She said, what is that? Because I had all my bags with me, and I just, I didn't even look at it. I just, <laughs> I, just I, I just booked it. And um, I put my stuff in the car, and we drove to their house, and it was late. It had to have been at least, it was probably around 12 o'clock. And I remember I said, what's going on? And they was like, come on in. I was like, you don't got to ask your people? Like, you know what I'm saying? You don't got to ask your parents? No, come on in. Come on in. And I remember at that time, they were already sharing a bed with them and their older brother. <laughs> and I remember I was just like, there's no way. I, I was like, and for me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm speechless because I've never experienced somebody showing love to me like this. Somebody that I don't know. Mm. And I remember going, oh, snap. And... Me when I dropped my suitcase there for about two months, I want to say two months, I ended up living there, and they they never asked me for a dime. And every single day, I remember I always had three meals, and we would always do some type of fellowship either at church or at a park. But it was just always around the people of God. And to this day, I don't remember a more peaceful time in my life than those two months I was with the twins in the house. Mm-hmm. Every single day, we're just seeing a new experience of God fearing men and and how they operated, which was completely different from how I did. And just saying, wow, like this is crazy. And just having peace and no stress. Um, it was just a real feeling that I'll never forget to this day. And um, and that's when God started to really work on my heart. And for me to, at this point, at, prior to that, I was mad and hateful and hated God for my plans not working out in life to now experiencing God's love through his people. And from that day on, like those are my brothers. Like I consider them just as close to me as my blood brother Malik. Like they're my brothers. Like I take a bullet for them in a heartbeat. They need me for anything. I'm dropping. I'm going. So, um, yeah. that's that's my experience on how I found street like in my first experience here in California. Dang. That's such an awesome story. I think we can vouch for the twins. I mean, we'll hear stories about them all throughout our episodes. I'm sure, but shout out twins because they are two yeah. amazing human beings with huge hearts, and we just love them. So that's awesome and mm. man. So. Going from there, you're building your relationship with Christ. You're seeing, you know, these guys just live out mm. their life. Where do you see those things take effect in your life? And, like, if there was, like, a shift or, like, an important moment that you realize, like, okay, like, God, this was you all along? Or where do you see that shift in your life? Like, yeah, or where do you even that? see your plan shifting yeah. from the original plan A you had in your mind to come to Cali and what kind of life you were living right. versus exactly. those two months playing out yeah. and like, okay, God, like... The shift was honestly in those two months that I was living with them. And I say that because even though I've known about Christ on the East Coast, the culture of, of Christ and Jesus, and I can't speak for everybody, but just what I was what exposed to... Um, it was it was really hypocritical, and there was a lot of people living in sin. Like there's a lot of people, God is good, 
come to church on Sundays and on Monday they going back to being heathens, mm. you know, and just doing whatever they doing they dirt. And so for me, I'm used to seeing that. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm already thinking like, you know, it's not, you know, like it's. But living in there and like living with them and seeing them, not just at church, but how they operate at home when no, when there's nobody around, when, it, when how they operate with just other people, just and just seeing what a God fearing, what is that supposed to look like for me? That just I've never experienced that in my life. So for me, um, and I like in Acts. When when Saul gets he he gets that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and and before um, before he goes out and he starts to minister and do, does all these great things right after he has that experience with Jesus he didn't just go off it said he stayed with he stayed with with other people of the church for a little while I think Justin actually told me he stayed with them for a long, a long period of time before he went out and I really believe it was to see to, to see how other God fearing men were to operate how, how they were in, and to know the authentic authenticity of it and so i can appreciate hearing that about saul um who who, tra- who transformed to paul because i felt like i had a similar experience and for me um and i'll never forget the holy spirit the first night that i came to street like there was a there was a speaker it was a guest speaker um and he had just came he just came out of prison and he was and he was he was preaching and i remember and now this is me fresh from philly so i'm, I'm a tough guy like I, i'm a rock like it's not it's nothing like it's nothing and i remember he's he's talking um, he's talking about his experience and honestly like I can just identify with him like I can identify word for word what he's talking about and I, and I, and, I, and I feel this chill and and out of nowhere I feel this this tear trying to formulate in my in my left eye and I'm like what is this <laughs> what is this sensation like what's going on here and then out of nowhere like a drop falls and then another and then next thing you know it's, I'm, I'm thankful that it's dark because I'm I'm, I'm tearing up and I'm and this is like I just, I can't even ex- describe it. And I really did feel the Holy Spirit that night. And I felt like yo, this is this is different. I, I don't know what this is, but I need to find out. And that was the first experience that I had at Streetlight. And then the two months of being with the twins, just experiencing what that looks like. Um, and then and that's just going into the world. Them just had. It was my first time being around men that outside of church. You could talk about God in a regular conversation. To me, that was foreign. Like, you only talk about things of God at church. Mm-hmm. When does that happen in a regular conversation? And, so, and seeing men do that amongst each other, for me, I never saw it. So for me, that transformation happened then. Okay, this, and then also just seeing just how good it made it feel like to not talk about somebody, to not have to threaten somebody, to not have to be aggressive, like how peaceful it was. It was priceless. I said, yo, like, I like how y'all living. Let me, let me find out what this is about. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's when that transformation actually started to happen. And with the transformation happening for you, some people do things to go through the motions or out of obligation, like, oh, I'm living here, so I have to go with their routine, or Mm -hmm. they're helping me out, or whatever it may be, so I just got to go with the flow so I'm not going against the grain like what did that look like for you did you like were they making you feel obligated to go to church were you or fighting anything? your flesh like, <laughs> like I got to go again really like what is like that because growing up my mom and dad have always opened their doors for people to come in and live with us so I've seen those attitudes where it's like well you know I'm living here with Pastor Santos so of course I gotta go to service versus like wow, I appreciate the fellowship and the 
the wisdom and being fed and stuff like that. I've seen both attitudes. Like, what did it look like for you? Can you you believe they do Bible study every day? Ten times a day. (laughs) I have to read the Proverbs of the day. Like, I've seen it all. Like, what does it look like for you in in that time? Were you just in awe by the way of that? Like, Like they worship in the car 24 7. What is the fish? (laughs) (laughs) That's real. That's real. I um... Tell me, spill the beans. Yeah, no, I think um, for one, I was just super grateful. So for me, going to church, like, you know, and everything they were doing for me, without me having to give nothing in return, like, I was grateful. Yeah, let's let's, let's go. Like, so I didn't really look at it like that. Mm -hmm. But also, they were inclusive. They were always asking me, like, hey, where do you want to go to eat? Where do you want to go? So it's not like, hey, we're coming here, we're coming here. They would always include me Mm -hmm. in the conversation. And I think Mm -hmm. it was like, and, and I think a lot of people come up, they go away from from the word because they see a lot of religious people trying to force stuff on them versus feeling the love and for me like I felt the love I felt the genuine love so I never felt like I was forced like I had to go I felt like I got to go mm-hmm. and I think that was a difference inclusion is a really good word yeah it's it's a good characteristic as well because I can I can say I fail to be inclusive sometimes because I'm just so like in my flow or whatever routine I have or things that I have to do but it's important to slow down and and to be inclusive and to mm-hmm. be considered in that way instead of just like well this is going this way because yeah. that's just it is what it is well I was just thinking how that the whole inclusivity thing is a big thing because I've had situations where like plans are made around me and like this is a little bit off but like I have kids so it just feels like oh just you know just I'll show she'll have to agree with whatever they're doing so I just have to like okay yeah accept whatever is happening but you were it wasn't like you were just like okay this is what I'm given so this is what I'll like I'll take it you know like you were really see your eyes were really open to like what a blessing it was to yeah. be experiencing and living that and then you were not only that, like you were seeing it, but you were able to receive and be blessed by it. Yeah. And like on a spirit, you know, on a spiritual level, and yes, you were living it on the, on the physical earth, you know, here and like having to go through that. But like you also having that spiritual like shift is like, I mean, what what more would you want to get out of a terrible experience? You know, looking back months and thinking like, man, I would have never thought this is where I would have ended up. Mm. Like that's crazy. And by the way, okay, wait, I have to ask, at what age were you when when all of this was happening? Um, I would say like, nine, 19. Oh, my God. If that was me, I'd be crying. I would, be, I would go home. I would go home. So. Okay, Dad, I know you don't have the money, but yes, buy me that ticket. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, man, to be going through that at that age, too. That's crazy. But that shows, like, the maturity and the determination. Like you said, it was either, you know, it's either go back and face the violence and that life, you know. You have not, you don't have that many options there or you stuck it out here. Mm. So, My question actually was, you coming from Philly, I've never been to Philly. What is the culture like there versus you moving in and into a Hispanic household? Well, one thing that I will say is I remember telling people, like, yo, people here in California, they friendly. And somebody looked at me like, really? And I said, yeah, like, people smiling, they happy, there's palm trees. And they asked me what it was like at home. And I was like, well, people, like, you got that that, that look of just of, of fierceness, of even some to a degree anger. And it's like I can't show a sign of weakness because somebody's going to take advantage. And it's like that, like, everywhere. Like, where I'm from, everybody wears black. 
Like when my job told me, hey, you, you can only wear black. That's all I got because everybody always, you, you would stand out if you didn't. So for me, it was, and granted, not all of Philadelphia is like that, but I, you know, when I came out here, I was, I was, I was living in North Philly. And so North Philly, it was like that. Um, you have, you would have like drug dealers on legit on every Chinese corner store that was every other block. So every other block, there'll be a Chinese store and every, every day at like 7 p.m., you'd see a couple people outside and you know what they was doing and they wouldn't, they wouldn't care who you are. You could be a priest and they, hey bro, like I got some nickels and dimes for you. I got what you need. <laughs> and like, so for me, like I grew up in that type of environment where it was just like, I remember I brought my friend Ryan, I met him out here. He, he came to Philly one time to visit me when I went back. And I remember our first, like within the first hour, we're in a corner store and somebody was looking at, at one of my friends a, a, a little sideways and my guy, and the guy got up, got up out the chair. Was like, "Yo, what's up with you?" He like went in his pocket, like he's about to pull out a knife. And it was like the five of us, including Ryan. And Ryan in the back thinking, like, "Oh my gosh, this is cool. This is what Philly's about." And I'm like, and he, <laughs> you know, he, yeah, he he grew up, he grew up, you know, at, at a certain part in California. So he, he lives for the thrills. But like that's real life. So him 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 seeing like, "Oh snap!" Like they really about it. Like yeah, they really. And if he was here by himself, it wouldn't turn out this way. So you wouldn't be as happy. So I share that story <laughs> just to share like. Um, it's toxic. And when I came out here too, I would walk in certain parts of like Santa Ana, like and apparently it was like the game parts of Santa Ana. I didn't know because I'm just I don't know this place. But when I taught the twins different places that I, streets that I would walk, they said nobody tried to mess with you. And I said no, I just, you know what I'm saying. Nobody tried. To, and and I would say that to say like I was like super some uh, super tough guy. But I guess I just carried myself in such a way. And not even glorifying that, but I just, it's a persona that they, that people in Philadelphia have of, of that's why having that thick skin. So mm. that's just kind of why I'm, and it's cold too, you know, like it gets so cold that sometimes if you don't have gloves in the wintertime, if you bring it, bring your hands outside of your pockets for longer than 30 seconds, it starts to sting. Oh. It hurts. And like, so between the tough and the tough skin internally and externally, like it's just, um, so you're like a real life fresh prince. That's what <laughs> I was doing. Because no he was lie. like, when you were saying like, oh, I'm from Philadelphia and like this I is how it is. I was like, West, West Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground. <laughs> was Dude, so did you, is that why you came here? Will Smith, <laughs> made, Will Smith make you do it? Is that a sponsored? Right? Here we are drinking right? Just Water <laughs> by Jaden Smith. And we have the... Real life fresh prince of About, um, Orange County. My, yeah. my last name just happened to be Smith, but this yeah. oh. is Okay. So Orange County. I have County suspicion. Even. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't sent to Bel Air, but <laughs> Costa Mesa instead. OC. Wow. I literally, I love it. I, I know. Did, that was going to be my next question. I was like, did Will Smith inspire you? So that difference then, what do you, what do you think about that? Like here... I mean, you're t- you're telling me in Philly you can't walk around and do this, you can't do that. Like, how does that feel being able, or like, what have you faced here? Like, we know maybe we we're here in the good side and all that, but obviously with the good, there's always bad. So like, coming from Philly, you have that experience, you have that tough skin. Have you mm. had to resort to like having to use that tough skin here in OC in like situations or not yeah. once, not once. That's and, so wow. good, and, and it's a blessing. And I said it because yeah. I've been in and like I've been in, and it's not to glorify fights, but I've been in over a hundred personal fights in Philly, and not once since I've been out here. And so it's a completely different experience, even from the police. 
Like, mm-hmm. in, at least in my experience, the police out here are cool. Yeah. But back in Philly, they something else. You do have experience with, like, police brutality or, like, at least harassment. But that was out there. Like, have you experienced that here? It's more of a micro out here. I still experience it to some To what degree. degree out there versus out here? So my last encounter with, with the police out there before I came out here, it was during the wintertime. So it was around the time when, you know, it was that cold where it's, it's things. And I remember I was outside of my friend's house, um, and me and her were just talking. I was parked you know, on the curb legally, and I remember there was a, a, a police car, and they pulled up, and they saw us. And so they, they just pulled up behind us, turned the lights on. And granted, it was light, but, you know, at this point, we weren't really necess- we weren't doing nothing illegal. And they pulled up, flashlights, the whole nine, and, and um, I said, how can I help you? And he goes, um, yeah, you know, I... Um, you know, I noticed that you're over here just looking a little suspect. And I go, all right, you know. And he goes, well, it smells like some weed in here. And I know for a fact, I'm not saying I was a saint back then, but I knew for a fact that during that period I wasn't smoking any type of marijuana. And there was no weed in the car. So I'm looking at him, I'm saying, officer, there's no weed in here. With a smile on my face with confidence because I know there's nothing in the car. He goes, well, I think there is, so you need to get out. And I said, all right. And, and so I get out and he, with a real aggressiveness. So I get out the car. And I stand there, and then he makes my friend get out the car, and it's cold. And they close the door. I remember that after, like, a couple of them saying, can we, can we, can we go through the car and go through that whole nine? And I was just like, if you need to. And they, they ripped my car apart. Like, I'm talking about, like, almost ripped off the dashboard. There was some stuff that still wasn't fixed to this day in that car. And I remember standing there, and the guy was like, hey, you just, you just want to hop in the car? I said, hop in the car? His, his police car. And I said... Why would I want to go into your car? He goes, I don't know, just, just for safety. And I said, safety? Am I under arrest, officer? No, but just, just for safety. I said, I'm, I'm good. He said, no, I insist. I said, no, I'm good. And like he put his hand on his hip like he's about to pull his gun. And I said, oh, it's not that serious. If you need me to get in the car, I'll get in the car. So I, I'm in the police car. Mind you, I'm not doing anything illegal while they're standing there. My friend's outside. She's shivering. And she's so pissed. Because she knows there's no reason from like I'll never forget the look on her face. She was so she had rage. She was like, yo, like, no, they're not doing this right here, right in front of her house. And I'm like, yo, can y'all at least get her like a blanket of, like it's freezing out here? And she like, well no, she can go in the car too if you want. And she, and I just I just remember that that was the last I've had lots of encounters with police out there, but that was my last one prior to coming out to California. And by the time they had let us go after forty minutes, my car was ripped apart. Like they just there was some stuff that legit was broken. And I remember getting in the car with her, not even having words to say, like, and her just having that just look of, of just of just just anger, of like, yo, like, I'm sick of them treating us like this. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't even, and, and for me, I'm known as the guy that, with the words, but in that moment, I didn't even have words. Like, I was speechless. Like, I, I, I couldn't even come for it. Like, I had no words. And so um, that is the type of experiences that I would have out in, in Philadelphia. More so out here, I've never had experiences like that, but I get the, when I get pulled over out here, I get the regular, and I don't know how it is when other people get pulled over. I've asked, and I've heard it's not the same experience, but I get the, hey, you have any drugs in the car? Are you on probation? You have any crimes? I get the home, I don't, I don't know if that's the procedure, but I've talked to my Caucasian friends that when they get pulled over, it's because of a violation, they tell them, boom, 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 and it's gone. For me, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole, it almost make you feel like a criminal. Like, if I, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I have a tail light out, or if I, if I did something wrong, let me know. But all these questions that they're asking me, for me, seems unnecessary. And at the end of it, I feel like, yo, like, they make me feel like it's, it's, it's as if I, like, I did something wrong. 
more than more than a, like like of a criminal, and that's a bad feeling. That's that's a horrible feeling. So now it doesn't bother me because mm-hmm. like it's happened so many. It's happened my whole life, and so now I'm. But I know it's there. Like mm-hmm. I, I can count all the times. It's not one time where there might be two times. Two times where it don't happen where the cops are extra cruel. But ninety percent of the time it's like that. And now I'm just like it. Just I'm numb to it. So, so yeah. What is the de- demographic like in Philly? Versus here being in Cowley, where it's like, yes, you go to certain parts of like Westminster, there's little Saigon, Santa Ana, Hispanics, or whatever, but nevertheless, we have like a mounting pot. Yeah. There's different cultures and stuff yeah. like that. Well, they got the suburban area. And for me, like when I went to school, my mom, because a, a kid had got killed on the block that I lived at, like legit on the, same, on the same street when I was young. And my mom was like, I'm, no, this is not going to happen to my son. So I ended up going to a suburban school, but I lived I lived in Mount Airy in the hood. So I would take two buses to get to school every day to go to a school in the suburbs full of Caucasian people primarily and then have to come back into the hood. And so it would always be the, the Caucasian people in the suburban areas, but back in the urban communities, it'd be primarily um, black and Latino. And so when I came out here and I heard about the, like the division and the separation, for me, I, that, that threw me off because from where I'm from, like my best friends growing up was Ellie and Danny. And they were Mexican. Like I was, I was at their crib more than I was at my crib. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I'm, I'm weird. Like my best friends was Mexican, and I hear you telling me like it's this whole separation and divide. So that was definitely a big shock to me because I, I wasn't used to that. I want to say something in regards to that, which is, I like did my research mm-hmm. when all of this started happening, and I looked into our demographic here in Orange County, and it's only three percent African American mm-hmm. in all of Orange County. Now I think about that also because I was born in LA, raised in LA all the way until I was five. So, but I remember experiencing um, the riots and the Rodney mm. King beating. We lived like in downtown. And I remember growing up around African-Americans, like seeing them everywhere, you know, like, so in LA, I feel like the Latino and African-American dynamic is different than here in OC because I remember my parents bringing us out here and it was like, shock for me because I had never seen white people before right. you know so for me it was it was shocking yeah. um so I could definitely see that there was a divide where I felt like more comfortable being around blacks and Mexicans than being around white people because I got taken out of such an extreme like to come down and think about it three percent like mm. you know like to go from an extreme like that it, it was it was a thing for me that growing up I had to, I kind of felt like um, my the color of my skin did affect like who would be my friend and who wouldn't be my friend because I did elementary school in LA and I had all little black friends and then when I came here, I had like zero friends <laughs> that mm-hmm. wanted to talk to me. Like I'm not trying to say that I know at all anything that you know your experiences or what mm-hmm. might have happened, you know, because you're saying you had to take buses out and like go out to another school where you probably wouldn't have experienced what you would have experienced at your local school right Mm. so i don't know that's just like for me i i've seen that and i think like it's crazy to to have to go through those extremes like where your parents have to decide i'm gonna either put him in a school where i know he's gonna like probably be a a little bit better off than not but how did that play out for you because Mm. if you're going into another neighborhood they're obviously gonna know this kid's not from here or um, is that hard too? Yeah. Is it hard for a parent to do? Is it normal? Like, is it a norm out there? 
kids typically take a bus to go out to a better school or does the parents have to jump through hoops to do that? What is that like? Yeah, well, um, we weren't supposed to do that, so technically it wasn't legal. But I think for me more so, it definitely was a, a culture shock. And I say that to say when I first like started to go to the school, first just the school system, because I think I transferred mid-year. And I remember going to school that year and feeling so dumb. And I say that to say because the stuff they were, I had, I had no idea. And I'm in the same grade, so it's just like, I'm confused. Like, I don't know what, none of it, it, it looked like a foreign language to me, which is, which is a big problem when it comes to the school system. Because my school, they didn't teach us this. That just showed me the gap and the divide in between. And so for me, that was a problem. Then also going to a Caucasian school, um, one of the buses that I used to, I used to take over Roslyn, I, they were always trying to mess with me on on, on, on the second bus going, going to Roslyn. And I remember, like, it was just me. I mean, maybe I'm the new guy, but it was a lot of Caucasian people. I remember one guy, he had, he told me one time, he was like, yo, like, in a fight, and he was drunk, but I remember him telling him, like, yo, man, you blacky, we letting you hang out with us because you black. And I remember, like, so this is, like, the kind of environment, and it's, like, a lot, it was a lot of, I don't want to paint it out to be, like, a racist community out there, but I experienced a lot going out there feeling inadequate in the school system because I don't know anything because they don't teach that back in the hood from the school that I, that I came from. And then being being put in a school where there's people that look down on you. Mm. Honestly, I'm proud to be a black, like I'm proud of my skin because I know my history and I know my culture and, I, and I, had, I had to do my own research to find that out. But in that period of time, I hated being black because they made it feel like it was a sin. They made it feel like it was dirty, like it was like it was beneath. Like I really felt inferior. Like I, like even just the color of my skin, they made me feel um, less than. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up young and it was a feeling that I had. And I never really talked to anybody about that. But it wasn't until like I got into high school that I, that I, um, that I really just kind of had my own wings. And it wasn't until like I graduated. It wasn't until I came out here and I had to really find out who I was to, to really be proud of me and my roots and where I came from. But um, no, the experience was, and it was surreal because you know my life before Christ. I won't lie, like I was a party, I was a party boy. I'm not gonna lie. Never would have guessed. What's a party? <laughs> um, I was that track football athlete, like that that the star that would have pep rally for you. And so for me in high school, like I'd have either a, a party in a rich white house, you know, where it's just crazy, or even a college party. Or I go back in the hood. We have hood rat parties. And so, <laughs> like I get the best of both worlds. You know, it, it felt like that at the time. It did. No, you didn't, Marissa. <laughs> I go to Newport and San Diego, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. So it definitely was a culture shock, but I am grateful for that experience because I think I, I have a different perspective from a lot of people because I grew up in just a um, a diverse a diverse area from being around all black people to being around all Latinos to being around all white and all Asian. Like I've had my period of being in those cultures and seeing how, how different cultures think, how they operate. And so for me, when I talk to people, I feel like I do have a different, different perspective because I've been exposed to that. So I am thankful for that. Even though it was hard, I'm thankful for that. I do believe there is purpose in the pain. So, yeah. How did, I want to ask, how did, was there a conversation like with your parents, like, okay, we're sending you to this school. It's predominantly Caucasian. Like, did they tell you, like, you might be treated differently? Like, or was that already a conversation that you had had before? Or was it like, because, suck it up. This is better yeah. for you. You're going to that school no matter what. To be honest, um, no. And I think it's because, first, my parents weren't the best communicators. Mm-hmm. And then, two, 
they they went to a school in the hood, so they never really went to a school. They never went to a school in the suburbs, so they didn't really know how it was. They just assumed there's a whole bunch of other little kids there. This isn't like back where Ruby had to come into school. Like this is different, and so they never really had that. I had to experience that on my own, which was and I, and I think for me that was the hardest. It's one thing to have somebody to explain that to you. It's another to see it and have to try to figure it out for yourself at an age where you don't even understand what's going on. Yeah. Wow. Do you feel like? Being athletic is what got you. Like, if you weren't athletic, 100%. you wouldn't have had the experience 100%. you did. 100%. Like, they, your peers wouldn't have accepted you the way that you no, did no, 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 or no, 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 what. No, no, no. And that's often, like, the experience for a lot of people, I'm yeah. sure. Because yeah. you hear about, you know, like, how everyone wants to get drafted to NFL. Or like you said, you know, yeah. you don't go to NFL or NBA. Like, you're yeah. done for. You're, you die. Yeah. Yeah. So that's crazy. I am um, a quick little story. So the school that I, the suburban school that I went to, it was called Abington, and the mascot is, is they call it a galloping ghost, but it's it, it's a, it's it's a person under a hood. It looks like the Ku Klux Klan. No it's, way. It's a person under the hood. They're, they're trying to position to, to take it down now, but it, it's a it's a KKK member. That's what it is. If I showed you right now, that's that's what? the KKK. And the, the, so it's the school's the name? The Galloping Ghost? The Galloping Ghost. They, they literally gallop. It's a, a Galloping like Ghost, and it's a man with, with a white coat, with a white KKK thing on a horse. So the school's named after a KKK member? From the, yeah, Ku Klux Klan, yes. And that was the school. And our neighboring school in the hood was in Sheltonham, and it was the Black Panthers. That was the, that was a mascot, and that was the name. It's crazy, right? What? And so one experience that I had was I remember my junior year, we're at States. And at Sheltonham, and they were fat. They were our main competition, the Black Panthers. And I remember their head coach had set their lead runner, and he said, you can't run. And when we found out why, they found out because he was failing. And his coach was like, I need you to do good. I want you to do good in life. And so you're sitting out your junior year so you can experience that. So your senior year, you're not playing around, and you get your grades right so you can go to college. My coach, as long as I had a 65 and I was eligible to run, that's all he cared about. And so when it came time for schools and colleges, and you know, granted, and I take full responsibility, but that's why I have a heart for the youth. Because if I would have had a mentor, to, and to me back then, I was like, ah, and I was laughing like that guy. But I look at it now, it's like, yo, that's a real one. That's a coach. Why? Because that kid got a full scholarship to Penn State. Mm-hmm. And when senior year came around, for me, when it came to having certain, I didn't have those options. Mm-hmm. Now, I had options, but I had to make those options happen. I, I didn't have those options. And so and I'm sitting here looking at coach, like, what happened? He said, oh, well, you should you should have. You should have did better in school. And I was like, well, mm. you didn't encourage that, you know? So that coach he was wanted just... you to be his star athlete exactly. for the for the season. It Ooh, wasn't focused back, yeah. on your future. Yeah. Exactly. And wow. so and then after that, like I just never heard from him again. And so and that hurt because I spent more time with that man than I did my own dad. Wow. wow. It's true. You know, you send your kids off to school and that's who they're spending most of the time with. And I shared with you just mm. a few minutes ago how my like PE teachers were such a huge influence on me and telling me like hey, you know, like, well, I just loved the discipline that they showed us when it came to, like, you're going to do sit-ups or squats or reps or whatever, but having those those mentors, I can look back and think of teachers still that influenced me in a more positive way that might have seen me, hey, you're straying off, your grades are not doing so well, what's going on? I know you're a great student, you're so smart, who are you hanging out with? I had those teachers, so I see where you're coming from, yeah. you're saying this guy had that, but... I, I was just a star athlete and had you had that mentorship but again you know like you lived through that and like right. your experience was different but it definitely teaches you something and, then, and you got what you needed to get out yeah. of that which is amazing and 100%. yeah now you have a heart for the 
most importantly, we were talking about that too. It's like if you have to start with the youth generation because you got to catch them at that age where you're able to really influence them to be good human beings, like good worldly citizens, you yeah. know? So I love, I love them. I'm here like, what teachers did I have? <laughs> Garden Grove, Garden Grove School District is lagging. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I, I thought of a few people. I don't remember their names. But that's a good point. Sorry, I was literally stuck up thinking about my teachers. Like I was a- like, dang. With the current climate of, yeah. I don't even want to say culture, but the world and everything that's going on, the news, this whole George Floyd and everything yeah. else going on, the Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I can say both because there's like two different things yeah. to it too. If you want to get into the political mm. side of it or the civil rights, humanities type side of it, like you having that heart for the youth and as knowing the importance of the younger generation, like what would you have to say to youth? Like if you had an audience right now in an auditorium at a high school or a middle school, whatever, like how would you encourage them to, to continue through what's going on now from like a biblical perspective or even just like what's your take on what's going on right now yeah well when it comes when it pertains to the youth i think um i think a beautiful thing that's happening right now what i mean by that is um like i went to a protest like two weeks ago and i most of the 90 percent of the people that i saw there were youth Mm -hmm. and so for me that was big because i remember um i'm I'm reading books on on dr martin luther king just to understand Um, how it was there, the culture then, and just his mindset in terms of how to make change, not just not just at a at a speaking aspect, but just at a, at a strategic and, and and how to be smart about your moves to make change, but in a Christ-like manner. Yes. And with the youth, I would just say like, when we say they're the future, they are the future, and I say that to say like, it's not cool to be racist no more. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you know. If you was racist, like a lot of people were racist, so you couldn't really, you know, and, and the people who weren't, they felt bullied. But now it's like it's not cool to be that guy no more. And so for me, I feel I feel it's great because when I went to the protest, like I seen I seen young white kids, young Latino kids, young Asian kids, and I thought it was a beautiful thing. And I say that to say that I really think this generation could be the generation that can, that can kill racism. I really do think that to some degree it's always going to be there, but that racism that's just blatant, that's just out there. Like I really see the youth out here that's saying like, no, we're not standing for that. Like our our, our ancestors might have did something. Our, even our parents might have had that. But you know what? Because we have exposure to so much other things and we can see right from wrong, like we don't have to go down that sound, that same road. And so I think it's beautiful. And I think I think they are the ones to make the change. And so I think it's beautiful for me. Like I almost, I almost shed a tear being out there just seeing them. Like, they were all, like, teenagers, and they were all, like, serious. And even though they don't understand the full capacity or the full grasp of what's going on, they can still understand, yo, this is not right. We got to fight for this. And just to see the fighting spirit in the youth, like, I'm telling you now, like, my grandma, she, she probably, I know how my grandma would speak on issues like this. My grandma, she, she, she it, would, it, would, it, would, it would make my grandma's life just seeing that. And so, and even in the book, when it comes to Martin Luther King, like, what these youth are doing now, this is what Dr. Martin Luther King said. We need that for it to happen. So, yeah. So what they're doing now, back then, he said we didn't really have it like that. But what they're doing now is exactly what he's describing in terms of this is what we need to, for equality. And I'm seeing it in the youth. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I, think, I think it's a blessing. Yeah. I, I see it as finally like it's been this burden that your culture has had to carry all these years. Mm-hmm. And finally, 
people are starting to take responsibility for all the racism and prejudice and all the division that is in our country you're finally starting to see people take responsibility for that Mm -hmm. it lifts the burden off of your people Mm -hmm. and you're able to live out your life freely being who you've been all along without having to worry about your skin color Mm -hmm. changing um or being a threat to somebody in their mind you know what i mean like i can all like it's beautiful it is beautiful to be able to from this moment down the line people just not treat each other that way and man like I don't know. I I just think it's beautiful. Like I I forgot where I was going with it, but on honestly, it's just like I think about future generations all the time. Mm. I think about my kids. I have kids. Mm. You know, like I think about if I were to be gone, like what kind of a world they would be left in. Like what am I doing to prepare them for their generation? Because yeah. you know, the things are gonna happen in then in that generation that we have no no idea. But if we can start now, then we can begin to make those repairs and I think that's what we're starting to see now is those things being fixed and people just taking responsibility for the hurt the damage that they've caused and with there being so much going on because it's not just about a certain thing you know it's not just about an officer taking the life Mm -hmm. of a person but Mm -hmm. it's about the racism as a whole and the culture and and the society Mm -hmm. but it's such uh i feel like a hard time too to where you have Mm -hmm. to really chew on it before you react because then you have there's always that person on the other side that different perspective Mm -hmm. and whatever it may be and it's just like at least for me it's been like well, I want to go to a protest because, you know, that's something that my par- my dad has always shown me. It's mm. like you speak up for what you believe in is wrong and you speak up for what needs to be made right. And, you know, him always being an advocate for um, gang and for intervention mm. and prevention. Like I grew up doing marches and walks mm. and and peaceful protests and stuff like that. So to me, it was like, okay that's something I want to do but do I want to be perceived in this way or that way and I'm like it doesn't matter because what I know and believe in my heart is that what's going on is not right you know and I recently went with a friend and I was nervous to go and it was such a beautiful thing to Mm. experience so many people are saying things in the media is portraying other things and just all these perspectives online or it's dangerous and this and that and it was it was amazing I, I was mind blown of how afraid I was to go based off of like even concerns like my husband saying, you know, things are crazy. They're flipping cars and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's probably not the safest place to go. But I'm like, what do I want to be able to say to my kids one day? Like when, hey, they're learning about this in their history books. And it's like, hey, mom, you lived through that time. What did you do? Mm-hmm. I did go out. I did go to see what is really happening I just didn't go based off of the media I went out there and I experienced something wonderful there's people out there you know trying to truly bring unity and speak about love and truth and you know even playing Martin Luther King's speeches out Mm -hmm. there like it was just such a beautiful experience and I'm glad I personally was able to go and to overcome that fear and honestly experience it I was just so mind blown but like it's just I feel like with all this going on and my perspective on the part where there does need to be change is 
the men and women in, in blue, you know, they're there to protect and serve. And it's sad that, you know, they're all being deemed by some people as, mm. as the bad and da, 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 da. But like, I feel like if from the top down, if they have a, a better code of ethics, instead of protecting their brotherhood above all else, mm. that officers would be more open to stepping in when they see their fellow officer using excessive force with somebody or somebody that's above them their chief or whoever it may be out of line instead of them being like oh well it's a brotherhood there's a code Mm. he's above me i can't tell him anything because now there's what four men being charged when someone could have stepped forward and said hey i see you're escalated above escalation Mm -hmm. let's switch let me hold you accountable you go cool down let me handle this but instead they hold this code where it's just like okay I can't I can't intervene because he's in control right now right. when in reality if they have a, a zero tolerance to yeah. to whatever it is that they need to like mm. then they would be weeding out so many people who are in there yeah. for the wrong reason and yeah. that's just the, the the place I've been at and what yeah. I've been yeah. chewing on and thought processing or listening to Martin Luther King mm. um, just dissection of his um, movement and stuff yeah. like that too so yeah. There's so many different places you can go in the midst of it all and what you're being fed by the media and social media and stuff. But yeah. that's kind of where I've been doing my digging. So it's cool to see yeah. that, or hear you say that you're doing your research on Martin Luther King and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know why I went there, but. <laughs> I mean, there definitely needs to be a lot of reformation in, in regards to um, police and how they do their policing. You know, I remember growing up in police, it was to protect and serve you know and now you're having mm. to protect yourself from the ones who are supposed to serve you <laughs> mm. so well for me i've i've seen it mm-hmm. and not the degree of other people but even my dad he looks like a gangster you mm-hmm. know that's what at least we get they racially say. profiled yeah. as well yeah and i remember one time we were living in tustin and we lived in like a nice area you know million dollar homes and stuff like that and we stuck out like sore thumbs around there and his impala broke down on the street or something happened and he thought the officers were coming to help him but instead they were coming to harass him because they thought he stole the car or something and he was just like what's going on like i live right here my car broke down like i don't know what you're talking about and him just telling me stories he always wears rings and he said another time he got handcuffed and the cop grabbed him so tight that his ring cracked and just like constantly hearing about those situations that my dad has been in growing up and him being open about that and educating us and telling us you know if this happens do that and with my husband and Mm. multiple occasions like that's where my frustration comes and I'm like I can't even imagine or that's why not I'm glad Nadia asked you those questions mm-hmm. too because about being in your shoes and then a black man, you know, of the 3% and yes, sir, but yet there's so many um, just, what's even the word? I don't want to say issues, but like 
misconceptions. Un, not even that, but unfavorably skewed things. Mm. Like, I started watching a documentary on Netflix called 13. Mm. Yeah, like, all across the board, like, for African Americans, like, you guys get the short end of the Yeah, stick, the numbers know? It's, like, in not just police or, brutality. Yeah. It's, like, economically. It's, like, in the school system. It's, in like, jail. everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's just terrible. crazy. <laughs> so, like, I can't even fathom just with what I've seen family and my dad and my husband personally experience being Hispanic but to be a black man like like to what degree would it be worse for them I don't know that's that's where my thought yeah. process has been but it's crazy it's you know I just something that came to mind as we're talking about these things and I think that's why having these conversations conversations are important I remember the first time that I went to jail and I think I was like what <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it was. <laughs> it was um, I think I was around night. I was around the time before I came out here, so it was around nineteen. It wasn't for too 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 long, but I remember, it was for like shoplifting at, at Walmart, and at that point, not was, even Target. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, carry on. <laughs> I remember being in court. Because it was just like, you know, just random DVDs that I would take and I would sell for money. And I remember being in court. And before I went up, there was this guy. It was his third offense. And it was like, for like stabbing some guy. some Caucasian guy. For stabbing somebody. And they gave this guy probation. And then I go there for, for shoplifting at Walmart. The first, my first, now don't get me wrong, it wasn't the same. But it was the first time I got caught. <laughs> but I'm in court. And the lady's looking at me. She goes, well, you know what? I think you need to learn a lesson. I need to make an example. I said, huh? And she sent me, I remember that was my first, and I went to jail for three months. Mm. Wow. And I, and I was, and I'm thinking in my mind, you just gave this, this Caucasian man's whole rap sheet. He just stabbed somebody. You giving him probation. I stole some DVDs. You sending me to jail? Mm-hmm. I remember, and so I remember that, 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 so when it talks about the system, like it's real. Bias is real. Mm-hmm. And even though you don't see it, it happens where you don't see it. And it's even the small things. We talk about race. When I when I came back out here the second time, because I came out here from Philly, then I went back, and then I came out again, and I was living in a house in Santa Ana, and there was this man. He was deaf. Um, he was Latino, and I ended up staying. He he moved out like maybe seven months in, but when he came he came to me before he left. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Marcel, I want to say thank you," and I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, when when you first came in here, I told my family." You know that that she moved in because it was a house and there was a couple roommates. And so I told my family that you were here and that you were black, and they they all freaked out like like they like they thought like a terrorist that came in. They were scared, and obviously like I was too because I know what to expect. But he was like Marcel, like like you're the nicest guy I ever met in my life, mm. the nicest guy I ever met in my life. And I just like just thank you for being you, man. And I said I was shocked. His name was Anthony, and I said thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. Shook his hand. And, 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 and but it's small conversations like that. Like in his mind, from the media portraying my people like animals, he's thinking like, oh man, this, and him having no experience with in, in person with with a, not even a black man, but a god friend, Christian black man. He he thinking the worst and not knowing. And, and, but not but these conversations help. I um another experience. My lady, she's Latino, and um before we started dating, I actually knew her dad. Now, I wasn't friendly with her dad like that, but, like, he was one of the people that when I see him, like, hey, how you doing? We weren't on a first-name basis like that, but it was just, like, it was always good energy, good vibes. And then when we started dating, she was like, oh, you know the, the, the big, strong guy with the Raiders hat? Yeah, that's my dad. And I go, oh, that's your dad? She goes, yeah, that's my dad, but don't worry. Like, you know, you told me about the interactions. Like, y'all cool, so it's all going to be good. 
Long story short, when she told him, he disowned her. Hasn't spoken to her in over a year. She was just like, no, like I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the fact that you're dating this man. Don't know anything about me. We was cool back when you we were strangers, and I'm sitting here encouraging you and giving you compliments, and we're smiling. And when I'm dating your daughter, now it's a problem when you know nothing about me. Now you just now you haven't spoken to your daughter or your grandson in over a year because of your hatred of a man you don't even know. Mm. That's why conversations like this are important because I don't expect people to know what they don't know. Our, I remember our first trip to we went to Mexico. And I remember on the airplane, like she was staring left and right all over the place. And I'm trying to figure out why she's staring. I'm like, Jenny, was, was you good? And she goes, like, there's people staring at us. Like, I don't like this. Like, like people giving me looks. And I was like, oh, you just noticed this now? Like, and she goes, what you mean? And I go, you, you know, it's, it's racist people that don't like my people. They don't like me. You know that, right? And, she, and when I first met her, she was one of those, I don't see color people. Mm. And I knew her heart, like she had a good heart behind it, but she, but she was speaking out of ignorance. Mm. And I remember we sitting down and we're eating some food before the plane left, and I remember her just saying, like, "Yo, I'm, not, I'm not used to people looking at me like this. I'm not used to people judging, even off, just off of who I'm with. I'm not judging. I'm not like I'm not used to this. This is weird. I remember having these conversations, and I remember the first time that she told me, like, I don't see color, and I had to say her at first. I had to because I'm, I'm grateful for the perspective that I had. I. At first, I wanted to get mad, but then I realized, like, because I know who you are, this is why we need to have communication, which is why it's so important. And I remember telling her, like, for you to say, I don't see colors, for you to say, like, you don't see the struggles that my people go through, that I go through, the, the, the potential danger that I might be. And then that airplane, that airplane scenario, um, she was able to witness firsthand, like, yo, like, I'm, ex- I'm seeing this now, but you got to deal with this on a regular basis? Yes. Like, for me, like, I already seen it, like... For me, like, it's to the point where I, I don't even notice it, but I know it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, you've never experienced this like this to the point where you wonder why people are, people are looking at us like this. And it's because you and me, that's why. And racism is real. So you're saying you don't yeah. see color, but it's there. So you mm-hmm. have to. Hey, guys. Sorry for cutting it here, but please be sure to tune in next week for the second half of this interview. We try to stay within a certain time frame, so thank you for bearing with us and being patient. Sorry to make you wait, but it will be so worth it.